episode oh. four of Handled by Hotheads. I'm your host, Brittany, here with my co-host, Sarah. What's up, Sarah? Hey, guys. <laughs> oh my gosh, Tina Turner died. Bro, yeah, that's heartbreaking. Talk about a true icon gone. Who are we even left with now? Uh, is Anita Baker still alive? Probably not. Um, Aretha's yeah. gone. Patty LaBelle. No, I don't. I don't think Patty's alive. Is she? I don't know, man. Diana Ross. Diana Ross is alive. Wow, that's crazy. That is pretty crazy, actually. Yeah. Miranda <laughs> no. Lambert. All right. Yeah, I've been on a, I've been <laughs> on a a a kick with Miranda Lambert. Oh. This week. Yeah, I went through my Miranda Lambert phase. I love her early stuff. Yeah, I've been listening to like the same three songs, but the main one is that. I'm going home, gonna load my shotgun. Oh, God, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's a vibe. That puts me in the mood to do some sketchy shit. Yeah, we've all been there. But the reason I've been thinking about Miranda Lambert is because this bitch, Erin Caffey, that's who I'm going to start with today, if you don't mind. She looks like a little, like if Miranda Lambert had a daughter that was born addicted to crack. (laughs) That's how Erin Caffey looks. So, how do you yeah, spell the last name? C-A-F-F-E-Y, yeah. Oof, yep. Yeah. You hit the nail on the head with that one. <laughs> yeah, and she's and she sang too in her um, church choir so much that she moved the church to tears, allegedly. I, I bet she did. Yeah, uh, anyway, so... Yeah, that's my first, that's my first case. This episode is all about children who kill and i don't know about yours but both of mine are teenagers they're not like young kids both of mine are um young teenagers yeah so i got a 15 and 16 year old but erin caffey was 16 when she did the unthinkable so let me just let me just walk through this this whole setup it gives trailer it gives trailer park, but okay. In, Her whole face gave trailer park. Yeah, it was. Uh, she's a nightmare. So she's 16 at the time of the crime, right? Her parents are Terry and Penny, <coughs> Kathy, and then she has two little brothers, Matthew and Tyler. Okay, so her brothers were her brothers were 13 and eight at the time of the crime, and she okay. was 16. So yeah, there's Terry, Penny, and then Aaron's the oldest, so she has two little brothers, Matthew and Tyler, eight and 13. So she was in ninth grade. Aaron went into public school after being homeschooled. Her family was super religious, so I don't know. I just feel like super, I'm sure that was a culture shock. I was gonna say super religious family that homeschools their children always gives me a red flag you know just yeah. a yeah so yeah she went into public school after being homeschooled at age 16 she got her license and a job at sonic her first job um at her job she really enjoyed it she skated the food out to the customers and one time she met this man named charlie i shouldn't say man he was 18 yeah so far Char- from a man Right. Charles Wilkinson was 18. He was like rough around the edges, came from a broken family, stayed house to house with friends, dropped out of high school. Mm. All the red Uh, flags, but also so appealing to a 16 year old. uh, Yeah. And a 16 year old who, I mean, in a in a super religious family, they were like very 
intertwined with their church community and all of them played instruments. And I think the mom sang also, and then Aaron was part of the choir as well. So they were like big in their church. Yeah, I don't like it. Yeah. So like when you go from that small community of people and just being homeschooled and that's all you know to boom, I'm integrating into society like there's a whole other world out here and you meet and you meet this boy who's smiling at you with the sparkly eyes and shit and he just has a whole different story from you it's just it's like magnetism so Aaron's parents asked him over for dinner because she would talk about him nonstop. they wanted to get to know him because obviously that's her first like real boyfriend she had a couple phases with boys before but they didn't they didn't last and they were probably with boys from the church also but anyway so it was like the first one that she was super infatuated with so the parents asked him over for dinner and immediately terry the father did not like him he came home from work and charlie was sitting in his his sofa chair in the front room he extended his hand to shake charlie's hand and terry said hello you must be charlie and Charlie just looked up at him and was like, yeah, and you are? Damn. Immediately, bitch, you disrespect my dad like that. You gotta go. Yeah, absolutely. Fuck up out of here. So Penny told her man, like, don't be so judgmental and overprotective. Uh, let's give him a chance. You know, he's young, blah, blah, blah. So they kept their opinion of him to themselves and kept having him over for dinner. They're nicer people than I am. Right. Instantly. Get the fuck out. They made a rule that he had to leave by 9 p.m. And then she could text him because he was always there, but they preferred that rather than letting him take her wherever. So at least they could be there monitoring and shit like that. Charlie was attending church with the family regularly. Like he was always going to church with them. The couple were always touchy-feely. And one day the parents were super upset when Aaron and Charlie were like hugged up in the church pew and it was a little too PDA for that environment. So Charlie was allegedly spotted with his hand up Aaron's shirt also. So (laughs) the church, yeah, the church folks started talking about them and still Aaron and Charlie isolated themselves and had freaky makeout sessions randomly in the house of the Lord, just disrespecting our fucking father. Okay, okay. well, it's also not up to these other churchgoers to be judging them, because I'm sure Brenda sitting in the front has probably had a couple affairs already. So, like, come on. Nobody remembers their, like, young love and all of that stupid shit. You think I'm gonna be letting a motherfucker cup my titty in the house of the Lord? I'm, I'm there to worship him, Brittany. not you. You might be fooling the listeners, but you ain't fooling me. I feel like there's a time and a place for shit. And there absolutely is, but I'm just saying, these other people in the church, they don't got no skeletons in their closet. Bullshit. That's why I hate <sighs> church so much. Too many judgmental, hypocritical people. I can't do it. You're on your own with that, because I don't play about my fucking church people. Except That's for Latin I'm still saving you a seat down below. I'm not going there. You'll be double booked for your seats and you can put your legs up. Great. I won't be there. Anyway, so the parents just are rubbed wrong by the whole situation because it's getting a little too... Grown. 
Yeah. Okay. So Charlie, Charlie started getting loose at the mouth, acting like he had no home training when he came over to their house. I don't think he did. (laughs) Yeah. And he was, but that's how he was presenting himself. Like the more he got comfortable, he was acting like he was the non-contributing king of the castle. So the parents started to feel that the two were too like aggressive and obsessive for each other. And Aaron's attitude changed toward her parents. You know what the fuck that means. Mm-hmm. She got a sample of that D. Oh, yes. Charlie gifted Aaron a promise ring that was his grandmother's ring. And that's where Mr. Kathy was like, okay, bitch. Um, no. He felt like Charlie was taking his baby girl from him rather than forming a relationship with the family and doing things the traditional way, the Christian way, the correct way. Okay. Sarah. Yeah. I learned that the hard way. Listen. Just do it how it's supposed to be done. You can save yourself a world of chaos. So yeah, the final straw was when Erin's grades started slipping in school. The parents sat her down and said <clears throat> in so many words, bitch, you're in a dick fog. Get back to Jesus. We're not asking you. We're not asking you. We're telling you. You're breaking up with Charlie. When this conversation took place, she dropped her head and said, I've been looking for a way to break up with him for a while now. Thank you. And the parents felt (laughs) relief that she was understanding. They felt like, oh, okay, because I thought, you know, like you guys were just in this world of your own and we're seeing all these red flags and you're just oblivious. So, you know, like they brought their concern to her and and was like, no, you need to get your grades back up. No boyfriend. And she acted like he's just so aggressive and she's scared to break up with him. She doesn't know how to do it. So they were like, okay, we're all on the same page. Boom. So Aaron had these other friends who were Charles, Charlie, her boyfriend's uh, friends. And so it was a couple, Charlie Wade. So Charlie and Charlie. And then Charlie Wade was 20 and he had his girlfriend, Bobby Johnson, who was 18. Mind you, Charlie Wade is going through like a custody battle. He needs lawyer money to get his daughter, who is not Bobby's daughter. Yeah. So after the crime, her older group of friends said that Aaron was going around talking about how she wanted to kill her parents and she was tired of them being tyrants over her life and shit like that. So she and Charlie went around telling everyone that Aaron's parents beat her, were abusive toward her. They came up with a plan to kill Mm-mm-mm. Terry and Penny. So boom, February 28th, 2008. And this happened in a small town in Texas. I- Celeste, Texas. I'm not sure. Is this going to explain uh, why she looks like a meth head though? No, she just looks like that. Damn, that's unfortunate. Yeah. (laughs) So anyway, so February 28th, 2008, from around 11.45 p.m. to 12.45 a.m. in that hour, Erin called her boyfriend six times asking where he's at. Charlie, Charlie, and Bobby drove up to the house to act on this plan. The dog was... But their dog was outside barking and scared them off. So Aaron, yeah, so they pulled off. Aaron begged them to come back and she said she'd put the dog up. So yeah, don't hurt the dog. The dog didn't do shit. Yeah, I don't think the dog got hurt. But they came back. Aaron snuck out into the car with them. They drove to a nearby cemetery. And for an hour, they made a more realistic plan to kill her parents. A a more realistic. Okay. You know what I mean? Yeah, I got it. How are we going to do this? Uh Uh-huh. While discussing these plans, Aaron tells them to kill her little brothers, too, so they can't say who did it. Damn. Oh, bitch, you're just vile. That's gross. Oh, my Come on God. Now. Like, damn. Yep. So 
Aaron gave the friend Charlie the code to her parents' safe, saying that there was $2,000 in there. And this is Charlie Wade, the one who was 20. Mm-hmm. And so he was he was sold because he needed the lawyer retainer as he was in a custody battle with the baby mama to get his daughter. Well, now he's going to have to drop that case and focus on his murder case. <laughs> yeah. These dumb fucks pull back up with a 22 caliber handgun and two samurai swords. Okay. Uh, okay. <laughs> okay. So they kick the door open to get in and they wake everybody up with that kick. Um, Terry, the dad, was shot 11 times. Holy shit. But he, That's overkill. He, he lived. Oh my God. Uh, I know. I don't even. He was like shot in the face and everything. The so, power of the Lord. Yeah. So the gun jammed while they're trying to blow him through the wall and so the friend charlie the 20 year old stabbed the mom in the neck while she was laying there in bed with the samurai sword the gash that the sword made nearly decapitated her i'm sure it did yeah yeah so they're like sharp like machetes because i'm oh absolutely yeah i've never really seen a real sword i don't think like out of the case but i would think they would be like flimsy they're meant to just like glide right through Oh, yeah. See, that's that's crazy. Uh, they heard the little brothers yell from upstairs. They got the gun unjammed and went to the stairs. They saw the oldest of the two, who was 13 at the time. He started pleading with Charlie to stop, and Charlie shot him in the face, killing him instantly. God. So they ran up the stairs looking for the eight-year-old brother who was hiding in the closet in the fetal position. They took the stores, They took the swords and they stabbed him to death right there in the closet where he was. Like, what? That is, this is so sick. Yeah, this is gross. This, like, more than just criminal. This Absolutely. is like... Absolutely. This is like, you're sick a, in the head. You're getting off on yeah, it. This is a, a mission that they're going through, like... They didn't have to kill those kids. I don't know. They ransacked the house, took all their shit, got Aaron's bag that she packed... Which, to me, signifies that this was premeditated and she was aware of what was going to happen. Absolutely. They set blankets on fire throughout the house and scurried off to their new life of mentally ill fugitive freedom. (laughs) Terry was still alive, though, so he was determined to get out of the house to stay alive long enough to tell the police who did it. He said he saw the wife and knew the boys were dead because he heard like the whole scenario going on and he was shot multiple times in the face and shoulders, could barely breathe as the house was billowing with smoke. So he was like crawling to get out. Once he got out of the house, he swam through um, like a creek that was nearby. He almost drowned in that creek, but he made it through and crawled 300 more yards to the neighbor's house and got up the stairs and banged down the door. Damn. The neighbor opened the door and he called 911, but he was just completely covered, like head to toe in blood. And so he was like almost unrecognizable. The town was so small that everybody knew who all these kids were. Like police went to Charlie's house immediately and that's where they were. Okay, they found a shirt with blood on it when they walked into the house, so they took him in to be interrogated. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, so they planned out the murder, and and that's where their plan ended. Then they went to his house. They thought it was over with. They're so stupid. Well, you sit down and pick out a movie. At, you thought it was that simple. You've never watched one movie in your entire lives, or even like read a newspaper. You thought that you were just gonna go do this, and then. Go home and chill. 
Right. After setting the house so, on fire. If they wouldn't have set the house on fire, well, no, the dad still got out. But, yeah. bro, okay. <clears throat> so. Imagine shooting somebody 11 times in the head and shoulders and and they lived. So where does uh where does the dad stand with his daughter now? Oh, let me get to that. Okay. So okay, so they didn't I don't know if Aaron was in another room or just under the blankets, but they only took Charlie in for whatever reason. I don't know where the other couple was, but Charlie was giving like very little information, but based off Terry's statement and the bloody shirt, they had enough to obtain a search warrant. So when they went back to search the house, it's like hoarders. There is pizza boxes and clothes and garbage everywhere. Like Gross. you can't even see the floor. Yeah. So um, they started lifting stuff up in this house and one officer sees blonde hair that looked like a baby doll toy. So he reached down to, to grab it. And as he lifted it up, there were two eyes looking up at him. And it was Aaron hiding in the debris. <laughs> so Aaron plays dumb and she's like, oh, my gosh, where am I? What happened? I was drugged and kidnapped and like plays like the victim, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> okay. So they all believed her and one interrogator asked if she smelled like smoke and she didn't. So they gave her a urinalysis and that's how they found out she was lying. She didn't have anything in her system and she didn't smell like smoke. So she got arrested right there in front of her grandma. <laughs> they, when they interrogated the other three, all three of them folded, Charlie, Charlie, and Bobby, and told them that Aaron was the mastermind in the situation. They didn't believe it at first, but once the phone records were obtained, they found that to be true. So, yeah, Aaron changed her story up to still be the victim. Uh, she ended up getting life plus 25 years. She's eligible for parole in 2038. Shouldn't be. Exactly. But Charles and Charles both got what a life spoiled with no parole. little bitch. Honestly, yeah, she's disgusting. Never got disciplined mm -hmm. her entire childhood. Yeah. So Charles and Charles got life with no parole. And then Bobby, she just sat in the car the whole time, but she didn't like tell or be like, hey, this is not a good idea. Let's not yeah, do so this. Yeah, so she's also stupid. Yeah. So she got 20 years for, for being whatever dumb. accessory. Yeah. So during the trial, though, another one of Aaron's like short-term exes who I don't know if she like met him in school or um church but he testified against her and this was before this was before she met her man Charlie that actually like went through with the plan but Aaron's ex testified against her and said that she she was asking a long time ago for her man to kill her parents oh. so like so like before she met Charlie this has been her plan yep to get to your question, where does Terry stand today? So Terry had PTSD for so long, obviously. Um, he slept with a gun on his chest and he's kind of like healed enough to where he sleeps with, with it in the nightstand next to his bed and stuff. But he has flashbacks and obviously that's yeah super traumatizing. But he is a religious man. And he says that even though it's hard to see his daughter in the state that she's in, he like lost it when he was in the hospital, whenever the police broke it to him that this wasn't just him being a negative influence on your daughter. Your daughter's the one that set all right, this up. She was up. the mastermind. She, yeah. So he like lost it and just started screaming and freaking out because 
Like, damn, I could see if you were mad at your parents, but the brothers had to suffer too. And I don't know. He still visits her. He says that sometimes it's hard because he just doesn't understand, but that's still his daughter and he doesn't want to give up on her for whatever reason. Oh, yeah, wouldn't be my kid no more. Yeah, I don't know if he like wrote a book, but I know that he goes around uh, giving like not speeches, but telling his story to churches and stuff like about the day he lost everything and how he got through that and shit. I don't know. Fuck Erin. I hope she does not get out. I hope they find some reason to find her not eligible for parole. I don't feel like she's the type of person that should integrate back into society. I feel like this. I feel like if you set up a murder and like have somebody else do your dirty work, you're worse than the the murderer themselves. Absolutely. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Like you you're the one, like, because br- he wasn't going to kill, and he probably wouldn't have killed anybody, you know what I mean? But, like, you put that little fucking coochie on him and shit, and then you know how men are. Like, that's all you got to give them some sugar, and then they turn sweet. So, I don't know. I just feel like you're more manipulative, and that should be considered, and you shouldn't be around people because you can't be trusted. Absolutely. <laughs> I hate her. Yeah. So, so do I. Death to you, bitch. Die. All right. So who you got? All right. So let's talk about Josh Phillips. Woo. This shit. I don't. I remember seeing this on some crime show years ago. Like I'm talking a long time ago. Um, And it always stuck with me for some reason. But this little dipshit. He's 14 years old from Jacksonville, Florida, given my state a bad name. God damn it. So on November 3rd. 1998, 14 years old, his eight-year-old neighbor comes over to play with him. She never goes back home. Um, Oh, my God. Yeah, so Josh had issues at home. He had a father who was really violent towards him and his mom. Teachers said that, you know, he was an average student. He was actually fun to have in class. So he obviously wasn't looked at as, like, a problem child or anything like that. Um on November 3rd, Maddie came over and asked Josh if he'd play baseball with her outside, which wasn't uncommon. Uh, they were really good friends. Neither of the parents really, it didn't bother them about the age difference or anything. It would it would bother me as a mom. I wouldn't let my young daughter go play with a boy that much older, but whatever. Right. Um, he was home alone at the time, so he agreed um, and while they were playing basketball or baseball, sorry, he said, um, he said that he accidentally hit the ball at her eye and that it started bleeding and she was crying and screaming. And so he panicked. Um, he was worried that his father was going to come home and be angry with her or angry with him for hitting her. So he drug her body into the house. Once he got her upstairs to his bedroom he beat her with a baseball bat to get her to stop crying and then shoved his body under, shoved her body under his bed. He had um, like a water bed and stuff. And you've probably seen what those frames look like. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, his dad ended up coming home. Um, he spent the evening with his family, did dinner, all that good stuff. He went back up to his room and realized that Maddie was still alive. So he found a small knife in his room and he cut her throat and stabbed her 
with the knife and left her under his bed again. Maddie's parents reported her missing that day, and Josh even joined them in the search. And later on, Josh had said that he had kind of just, like, ignored everything that he did, the situation going on. So yeah, he joined in on the search for her. And a few days later, on November 10th, Josh's mom noticed like a really bad smell coming from his room. And his room was kind of a mess. So she was in there trying to clean things up and saw a stain coming from under his bed. And that's when she found Maddie's body. She called the cops. The cops went to the school. Josh was arrested and he confessed right away to murdering her. In stories like this, it's easy to put yourself in the position of the victim's parents. Like, oh my gosh, that's scary. I would never want that to be my child. But what would you do if you were the mom that found out your child did Oh my that? God, are you kidding me? I, I honestly don't know that I could um, look at my kid the same way ever again. Really? Yep. If I found somebody's rotting body in my child's room... I'm going to have a hard time yeah, yeah. looking my kid in the eye ever again. Yeah, that's different from, like, the accident that happened outside. Like, you know what I mean? Oh, absolutely. I mean, but see, this is the issue where we have talked before on, like, your reaction to your kids coming to you when they have a problem. You, yeah, yep, you determine how they then handle mistakes after that. Your reaction determines what they do. Like... Not at all giving this kid a free pass and saying he's okay for this, but he already had an abusive father. This happens. He's terrified on what he's going to do. So his first instinct is, well, I got to hide what I did. Not at all thinking of the consequences after. And this was like a simple accident that just led to something extremely horrible. I mean, it definitely went too far whenever he found the knife and slit her throat. But at that point, what was he supposed to do? Call down to his parents and be like, so, I mean, here's what happened. I thought I did kill her. She's still alive. What do I do? <laughs> yeah, this is this is a child who's in fear multiple times throughout the scenario because you hit her eye and then you, you dragged her home. Weird. And then you beat her with a bat. And then you went and like ate dinner and shit and then when you came back you stabbed her like there's so many there's so much time and room for okay let me just do the right thing because this isn't going to get any better right exactly and instead you chose to depersonalize and like try to just conceal it and not tell anybody or ask for help like i don't know to me that does seem like a telling sign of how you're being raised well he got life in prison and that's where he's going to sit forever. His lawyer never let him testify. There was studies done on him. He had um, images taken of his brain and stuff where he had quite a few lesions in his frontal lobe. And they did say that that could have something to do with like his decision-making process and everything. But the judge would not allow that evidence into trial. The prosecutor tried to say it was sexually motivated. Because when he was dragging her up the stairs, her bottoms had slid off. But there was there was not any DNA evidence to support that. There was nothing to say that she was touched sexually in any way at all. Uh, but they did also say that there was no blood found on her, like, eye or nothing. So they don't mm. know if that story was even true or... 
you know, if he had just lured her inside and beat her with a baseball bat. That's probably what he did. Yeah, because, I mean, well, it would hurt like hell to get hit with a baseball in the eye. I mean, I'd be screaming and frantic and losing my mind. But if she was out there screaming and crying, don't you think somebody in the neighborhood would have heard? Don't you think her parents, who knew that she went down there to play with Josh, would have heard her screaming? Right. Also, like, I mean, why did it take so long for them to go looking for their daughter? Like, she was gone for hours. Yeah, I don't know. I have my son check in. Sometimes he stays out a little longer than I asked him to. Absolutely. But, But, I mean, she was also eight years old and you sent her down to play with a 14-year-old. Yeah, we're not doing that. Absolutely not. So, the parents parents were aware, like, for sure, that they knew that that's what their daughter was doing. Yeah, that's fucking weird. Eight and fourteen. Right. That's a that's a big age gap, especially when the older one is a boy. I mean, a, I guess the gender doesn't matter, but still. Yeah, it does though. A fourteen year old boy going through puberty and stuff that matters. That's yeah, but I feel like girls are vile and evil like that. Yeah, too, but though. I'm saying like I, boys get that curiosity and stuff in them, and I uh, I don't know. I'm going to tell you right now, as the mother of an 11-year-old handsome child who has girls a year or two older than him also all on his Snapchat, bitches have the same curiosities. I understand. Okay, let's move on from this. (laughs) These motherfucking kids are predators. I swear. And you parents need to pay attention to your goddamn children. Some of these kids are worse than adults, man. Seriously. It's, it's out of control. I, I agree. That's the problem. Also, I mean, this is back in the 90s, though. Like, we didn't, we didn't have phones and tablets and stuff to park our kids in front of. But, I mean, they still had Nintendo, Sega, all that shit, video games and stuff. But, but back then, you couldn't blame video games for violence because... I was just going to say, like, let me just... Let me just say this. Human nature is Absolutely. human nature. Curiosity is curiosity. It depends on the child. I don't really think that the gender matters, but a rule of thumb is that in early and middle childhood, three years is a pretty steep age gap because these kids are developing and maturing at like such intense levels each year. Three years is like two whole different people. You know what I mean? And now that we have like well, and this is six years. So, yeah, exactly. That's insane. Like, that's not even. No, this is a kid who is kid. like going into high school. He shouldn't even have any desire to hang out with a third grader. Yeah, that's a mental illness yeah. for sure. Also, you can't really blame social media and like video games and shit because I feel like generations back all have stories about. Yeah, like this too. You know what I'm saying? Like that's the only difference that I'll say is that I feel like parents today are a lot lazier, um, so they don't talk to their kids as much. Maybe all I know is if if like a six or seven year old, because that'd be about the age difference with my son. If a six or seven year old little girl knocked on my door, hi, can so and so come out and play? No, you need to go home. Like, what? Do your parents know that you're over here? No, he's not. See, my son, we live, we live in an apartment complex where we're under surveillance. And so all the kids, like 
there's like a group of three little kids. I think they're in first grade and they always want him to come outside because they like to they like to tease him or Well that's you know, fine and that's a group. Yeah, it's not individually yeah. if one little girl is coming my son, I, I know I've had talks with my son because my own trauma from my childhood and stuff, but if if my son came home and was like this younger girl likes me, I it would shock me because he likes older girls. <laughs> like we've had these conversations yeah. before. That's the whole thing. When you say people aren't talking to their kids as much, I don't know. I feel like maybe because people stopped sitting at the dinner table, like families aren't as connected. But I feel like back in the day, it was it was more common for it to be like the social norm for kids to stay in a kid's place. And, and they weren't talking to their children back then either to, to me. Yeah, that's probably true so, too. I don't think anything's changed, but also you have to know because we have the internet at the palm of our hands in all of our phones and watches and shit, your kids are being exposed to a lot of shit. And if you're not doing like the parental control thing, you need to be talking to them and it's your obligation. Well, yeah, to, like, but you can, you can do as much parental control as you want, but the second they're out with their friends, they're seeing whatever yeah, on their yep. friends' devices and stuff. And at their friends' houses, yeah. those parents might be a lot more relaxed and not care. So we just, yep. we're in an age where we can't even monitor our kids enough, no matter how much we stay on them. Because the second they're out of our sight, they're going to learn about that stuff anyways. Exactly. And I think that as a parent, you have an obligation to like, talk to your kids about what would you do in this situation right you know like and you still have to let your kids know like no matter what you do you can come to me like i that's literally what i'm here for (laughs) yeah you're still loved even when i'm disappointed or upset with you a lot of these kids go home and their parents make them feel disgusting or like they're bad people and yeah you know so i don't know i just feel like your kids are going to be exposed to a lot of shit and it's your job to make sense of it, like guide them through cause and effect, conflict resolution. Like parenting is a bigger job than a lot of people talk about. It is. And I mean, you have to also kind of switch roles with your kid. Think about when you were a kid, think about like the things you wish your parents had done differently and do them differently this time around. Like, that's that's yeah. up to you to break that cycle. You are the only one that can determine the type of relationship you have with your kid. So, what state did he get life in? Florida. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Unfortunate. Yeah, Florida don't fuck around. They fry shit. Yeah, I like it. I uh, fry every time I'm there. All right. Um, <clears throat> okay, so we have Mr. Zachary Everett Davis. Hmm. He was 15 at the age of the crime. That occurred August 10th, 2012. The victim was his mother, Melanie. He had a brother named Josh, uh, who was 17 at the time. Josh was like popular, outgoing, super social, football player, had a lot of friends, all that. Zach's dad passed away six years prior when he was nine years old. After his dad died, he started hearing his dad talking to him, like he was having auditory delusions or hallucinations. Zachary was super quiet and kept to himself. If you've ever seen the movie Sling Blade, this kid talks in that, you know what I mean? Like deep, slow voice, like 
Yeah, like it's crazy. He has like the same mannerisms, like he keeps his head down and he doesn't really want to talk. He's super quiet and um, introvert. At age 11, Zach started going to therapy and was diagnosed with a psychosis and major depressive disorder. Um, but after four visits, his mom stopped taking him to oh, therapy. Okay. <laughs> yeah, okay. Uh, shortly after that, he was telling her that he heard voices and that he heard his, his deceased father talking to him. That went on until, you know, she died because on August 10th, 2012, Melanie took the boys to the movie. Um, They watched the campaign. It was a comedy. They laughed, had a good time. Then when they went home, Josh went into his mom's room later. Like she was working out, like doing push-ups and sit-ups and stuff. So he was working out with her and he said goodnight to her. And then she went to bed. Josh went in his room, went to bed. Zach went in his room after the movie and packed a backpack to get up out of there. So he... So he had plans for something. He went to get a sledgehammer from the garage. So he's, I think he's called the sledgehammer killer or something, even though he's not a fucking Yeah, why do we have to give names to people who have killed like one person? That's stupid. He came back into the house with the sledgehammer and stood there staring at his mom for a second. And then he bludgeoned her to death. Now, was his dad (laughs) telling him to do this? He's, he'd been saying this. Why did the dad hate the mom? I have that in my notes somewhere, I believe, but I think that he said that she was deceitful. She was like a whore because I I guess she was, I don't know if she was like actively dating, but like not in a relationship, like a real one. I don't know. But she wasn't taking care of Zach also. So there's a little bit of a twist coming up here. But um, yeah, she woke up in the middle of it being bludgeoned to death and started having seizures. She didn't say anything. She just started seizing, but he kept going. He recalled blood splattering everywhere and like the chunks of brain matter on his arms. And like, as he was recalling this, he kind of let out nervous laughter during the process of recalling. Like Jabonet's brother. Uh, Yeah, kind of similar, but they're very different. Like affects like John Bonet's brother. I allegedly he has like, He's on the spectrum, but but with Zach, he I believe got diagnosed with mm. schizophrenia. Um, so he so he you he has like a depressed demeanor. Yeah. Um, so it's like an embarrassed laugh for him, whereas um, John Benet's brother was like <laughs> like nervous type yeah. shit. Here's what I don't understand about people that watch interviews, and then it go like the headline will be like shocking interview with a psychopath blah 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 like bro you you think it's a like psychosis because they're telling a story and they're being held accountable and they're having to tell the truth on something that they did and so a lot of people use like dismissive language to separate themselves from the crime that they committed because of the humiliation and shame that it brings like that doesn't mean that they like are enjoying it like people always think that murderers are killer clowns from outer space and that shit irritates me because this this boy went Mm -hmm. through trauma and he clearly had a mental illness and his mom only took him to four therapy sessions she wasn't getting him the help that he needed this was actually like one of the main motives for killing her he was pissed off at her so he might have been 15 at the age of the crime but maturity level probably exactly. a toddler so uh so he went and he got liquor to use as lighter <laughs> fluid 
and attempted to burn the house down by setting fire to the game room in his mom's room. He fled He fled the scene. So Josh woke up to see the fire, ran into his mom's room. Um, he saw her in that condition, and he called 911 for help, got out of the house. Less than six hours later, Zach was found walking down the street with his backpack. When they approached him, he admitted to everything up front, and when asked why, Zach had a list of reasons he committed these acts. He was angry towards his mother for not taking care of him, uh, hearing his father tell him to kill her because she wasn't loyal and wasn't taking care of him, and then accusing his brother of of raping him. This is where I start to get a little pissed off and defensive over Mr. Zach because he said that he was wrestling Josh like they always did, and Josh then forced himself upon him one time when his mom wasn't there and did the unthinkable. And when he went to tell his mom, she got mad at Zach because she didn't want to deal with it and thought he was lying because he was hearing voices already. Yeah. You know what I mean? So his plan was to kill both of them. But when he got interrogated, he stated that he wished he would have killed the brother first. During interrogation i thought this was weird personally he was recalling his last moments with his mom he was completely emotionless like you would think if you were completely innocent and not a shitty person your mom just got bludgeoned to death and you saw her and had to escape a burning house that when you were being interrogated 12 hours later you would be in shock or some sort of distress he was like super calm having a casual conversation like he didn't give a fuck Hmm. at all Yeah, so he was also asked to recall events from their childhood that would describe why Zach would hold resentment toward him. And he talked about one time there was a boy who was hitting Zach uh, with this like rolled up piece of paper. Zach was like moving away, but he didn't really respond. And he was really passive and quiet. So Josh walked up and told the kid stop hitting his brother. And the boy stopped, and that was that. But he feels like Zach always held a grudge against him for stepping in to be the hero. And that is the thought process of some, like, evil people. Like, I don't need you to save me. He doesn't give me that. He doesn't give me that at all. Well, you also don't know him. Yeah, but I watched his whole interrogation, his brothers, and just all of... Zach has changed things about the story. Like, he wanted to get his brother in trouble. And so since he was lying and he has these episodes of hearing voices and shit and he doesn't sleep and he is in a psychosis, he has like episodes of that. Like, yeah, you can't really trust what he's saying. But also his brother's behavior is. super. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like a kid with a lot of problems at home. And I mean, you know, he doesn't get a free pass for what he did, but it, it probably wouldn't have happened if his mom would have listened to his cries for help. I mean, there's not yes, a lot exactly. of kids that will come to their parents and ask for therapy. If your kid's asking for therapy, just do it. Whatever their reason is, they have a reason for it. Just get them help. Especially when they're describing shit like hearing their dead father talk to them. Like, that might be normal in, like, the first months of grief, but six right. years later... And he's and he still talks to his dad every day. Right. Come on, at that point you're just negligent. As Absolutely, mom, but... yeah. An unfortunate so, situation um, that probably didn't have to happen. Yeah, he so he went like a cold-blooded to, killer. No, I don't. I don't think I got cold-blooded from his interviews. I don't know. I'm just going off my own intuition with that. But so he went to a competency trial to see if he could even stand trial by himself and stuff, and. 
He shocked the whole courtroom because he changed his story to telling everyone he was taking the fall for his brother, and he didn't do anything. His brother did. Sumner County Grand Jury kind of, and this is in Tennessee, they kind of like were tired of him having mental illness episodes clearly uh, on the stand. And so they decided, you know what? He is fit to stay in trial. Okay. Tennessee is so fucking stupid. That doesn't even, Um, okay. Yeah, because he was changing his story and then he was like hearing voices this whole time and in trials he's like is your dad like talking to you now and it never stops so he was like yeah i hear him now they indicted him on charges of first degree premeditated murder attempted first degree premeditated murder aggravated arson he was deemed competent to stay in trial he was sentenced to life and in tennessee that means you have to at least do 50 years minimum before you can be eligible for parole and then he got another 21 added on, I believe, for the arson. God. Yeah, that's where he is now. I mean, he went to the Dr. Phil show, and Dr. Phil, I feel like, saw and understood that this child needed help. Like, yeah. in jail or out of jail, if you ever come home, like, it's not about whether or not we should integrate you back into society. Like, you need help because you're like struggling like he's in he's in there isolated he's in segregation Yeah, that's not gonna do anything except for have a worse impact on him yeah he like begs the guards to turn the lights off and um I i think he was like asking for some sort of white noise or something like that because he couldn't sleep he he was just nonstop hearing voices wow so oh no i just i feel bad for that yeah i mean it just sounds like a kid that just was kind of left behind, you know? Yeah. Slipped through the cracks because of a negligent yeah. parent. And God, man, th- hearing about like his stuff, just, it sounds too much like what we're going through and mm-mm. yeah. Negligent parents, man. I can't stand them. Yeah. There's so much like Josh did the interrogation with the police, but he didn't want to, he didn't want to deal with it again on, the Dr. Phil show, he turned it down or something. He's weird. He just gives me weird acting vibes. And Josh, bitch, I know you did that shit to your brother. Intuitively. Allegedly. Yeah. Something weird. So where's the brother at now? He's just in the world living his life. He won't answer any more questions. He won't be involved with anything else. He just feels like his brother got life and his parents are dead. So let him live. But I just, I don't know. I feel like. I don't like it. Yeah. Nobody's going to make up a story like that. You know what I mean? A a kid who would lie about some freaky shit is different than a kid who is recalling details of the event. When you're, when you're lying, you're not going to like tell the whole story with those details and not change that part of the story. Like to me, I don't feel like he's being deceitful when he tells that story. And that's just my personal opinion, but I feel like Josh is a Well, I got issues with people named Josh anyway, so I've known too (laughs) many bad ones. All right. Do we have time for me to cover this last one? Yeah. All right. So Eric Smith. Yeah, dude. This kid is a classic case of a kid that needed to get his ass beat. So, 13-year-old kid, all right? He comes from an abusive environment. He's heavily bullied by his classmates. He's bullied because of 
his ears, his glasses from being short, his red hair. Ugh. So, yeah, just a kid with anger issues, all that. He's sick of being bullied, sick of just everything in his life. Four-year-old Derek Robbie, this is the victim, four years old. Now, I didn't write down what um, state this was in, but this four-year-old boy, Brittany, was walking from his home to a nearby park for a recreation program. Four years old. Jesus Christ, my stepson's gonna be eight and can't even walk up the sidewalk by himself. This kid's four <laughs> years old and fucking... I, I don't understand. Why is this four-year-old walking to the park by himself? But anyways, so Eric found him along the way and ended up luring him into a secluded area before beating little Derek, strangling him, and then sexually abusing him. Now... I mean, this this case is very cut and dry. Like, this is the only information on it. Due to the town's close proximity to a major highway, there was speculation that the little boy was just killed by someone passing through. I mean, why would you not assume that? You don't typically assume there's a 13-year-old psychopath running around. A week after Derek's body was found in that wooded area, Eric admitted his involvement to family members. He did it in, like, a really weird way. Like, I'm pretty sure they were watching TV or something and the news thing came on and he just kind of blurted out that he did it. You know, when asked why he did it, he said he was angry from all the abuse at home and school and just decided to take it out on Derek. Oh, yeah. my gosh. Brittany, Ew. he's out of prison. Living his life, what? walking free. He He got, like, seven years. I mean, I don't care. I don't only... give a shit. He he lured a four year old into a wooded area, beat him, strangled him, and sexually abused him. This guy has intense anger issues. He's a ginger. That's already a problem for me. He should have got <laughs> life. A four year old, an innocent little four year old. Yes. Fucking kidding me. Ooh, if I was that that little boy's parents, I would have been waiting when that fucker got out of prison. He wouldn't have lived a day after. Outrageous. Yeah. I don't... You can't tell me that he's just good and isn't gonna ever kill again. I don't believe that for a second. Nope. He just mm. looks evil. He's a fucking redhead. I'm disgusted by that, though. Like, that's all that little boy's life was worth. I'm just gonna say this. At a disproportionate amount, black youth are sentenced to juvenile life without parole and then when they hit that age they they get transferred to like a, an adult doc and they don't get out over an instance yeah. of gun violence when they're teenagers and they do shit like that redhead should this be held man, in the same regard this man tortured lured planned projected raped yeah. why is he alive why, why did he, he get beat here? to death in like, juvie wherever the hell he was well, they they made a lot of like in prison um, laws and stuff. Like when people say shit like Big Bubba's gonna get him in there, I don't that's care. Not One of the guards could really have anymore. <laughs> this yeah. guy, this guy's his um, life is worth absolutely nothing to me. What he did was an extremely yeah, heinous crime. Uh, I feel like this. We are. Or, like, the philosophy that has created the system that we use is utilitarianism. And what that means is that 
your intentions don't matter, only your outcomes do. You know, that's why if you were drunk driving, you accidentally hit somebody and they died as a result of that. Right, you're you still, still need to be held jail. accountable. And you I don't feel I mean? like, like seven you... years was being held accountable. There's no way he has been rehabilitated. Even if you, let me just say this too. Motherfucker, if you're getting abused at home and you got all this pent up rage and shit and you want to take it out, take it out on your abusers. There's no reason to do shit like this or to go shoot up a school or a church or a mall or a theater. What the fuck well, is he wrong was, with people? He was small for his age, so he had to find someone smaller than him that he could take it out on because he knew he couldn't he couldn't do anything to the people that were bullying him. That's a fucking cop out. But no, most most kids, first of all, if you're not going to tell us somebody at school or the cops or some shit, most kids get anger and they hold that because they know that they're going to be big one day and then they'll whoop their dad right. or their stepdad or whoever it is. That's you know what I mean? Like, that's not a normal thought process. There's no way that he's normal enough to be able to be in society. And that's what I was talking about with utilitarianism. If all of us say, no, let's go evaluate that because he didn't really do the time for the crime he committed. Who the like, what was he found guilty of and who sentenced him? Why was his sentence so light? Oh no! I don't feel like the four-year-old's parents got justice, and that is just disgusting to hear. So, episode five—that's a case I'm probably going to present. I'm not going to lie to you; I don't know what I'm going to. I do really yet. don't either. So, um, but I did hear that there is a um, website you can go to. We'd have to look it up state by state. I know Iowa for sure has it. It's not a cold case site, but it's a site listing all their unsolved cases open unsolved cases um so i thought about maybe diving in that and see what we can find next door in iowa um who knows maybe we could come across um a case that with fresh eyes would be easy to solve so we have um like a map that shows the states of where our listeners are from and there's like four different states that we decided when a new state gets put on the map of our listeners, we're going to do a, like, notorious case from your state. We'll probably integrate and maybe do stuff like that together, kind of like how we do these uh, when we do four cases yeah, in one absolutely. podcast. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, anybody's free to reach out and throw a case at us if there's something you want us to cover or something yeah. that means something to you that you want to get back out there so people hear about multiple ways to get a hold of us yeah and if you i was gonna say if you don't know where to communicate with us then we are on facebook and tiktok at handled by hotheads and also twitter hbhh podcast because somebody already took handled by hotheads (laughs) okay yeah but we want to start interacting with our listeners and grow from there and have you guys participate in being suggestions yes, of who absolutely. we cover um, I think that would be great. I think it would help us out a lot. Reach out, bitch. All right. Love Until you. Thanks time. for listening. Sometimes in life, things can come across as rather odd or often peculiar, a little like the way that you decide to tune into other radio stations other than ours.